بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والفعل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير يا وهاب يا وهاب يا وهاب يا فتاح يا فتاح Beloved brothers and sisters and dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah, we'll be reading from our book, Kitab al of Imam Zuhd, of Imam Abdullah bin Barak. Um, and today's section will be on the section called Reflection and Consideration from page 136. Musa ibn Ubaidah narrated that Muhammad ibn Ka'b al Quradi said, Ida arad Allahu bi abdin khayran jala fihi thalatha khisalin. فِقًا فِي الدِّينِ وَزَهَادَةً فِي الدُّنْيَا وَبَصَرًا بِعُيُوبِهِ Musa ibn Ubaidah mentions that Muhammad ibn Ka'b al-Qurdi said when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires good for someone when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires good for someone now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's desiring good for someone means that whatever he desires لَا رَادَّ لِقَضَائِهِ no one can repel whatever Allah decides and no one can cancel the effect of what, what Allah decides. No one can overturn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decisions. Allah's irada is existence. Allah's irada is existence. Whatever He intends, إِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ شَيْئًا إِذَا أَرَادَ أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ When Allah Azza wa intends something, He simply says, be and it comes into existence. So when you hear this hadith, like when Allah intends good for someone, yani it means 100% he's going to be, no doubt, in great shape, blessed. And khair, you cannot have khair if it's not khair in the long run. That's not called khair. If something is khair, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants khair for someone, what, what it means khair in the long run, in, the, in eternity, eternal khair. And that is of course khair of the akhirah. So khair of the dunya, and only of the dunya is not khair. Because that is very short-lived. When you say khair, it means you mean in the long run, both in this world, but beyond that, more importantly, the khair in the life of hereafter, life of eternity should be of khair. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends khair with someone, meaning Allah wants to give him his pleasure, wants to give him his paradise, then He creates within him three qualities. Number one, fiqhan fid deen, deep understanding of the religion. This is corroborated by another very famous hadith, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends good with someone, He grants him a deep understanding of the faith. So deep understanding of the faith, one is a person becomes a scholar, becomes a faqih, studies fiqh in detail. That's one route. But one route is when a person uh, may not be able to spend 10 years studying ilm. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants him a deep understanding of what is the purpose of the Sharia. What is, how do you actually please Allah? How do you actually please Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Or how do you actually please Allah via practicing in the sunnahs of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam? In any given time, what does my Allah subhanahu wa taala want from me? A deep understanding of Deen means we do not fall into the traps of trends. We do not fall into the traps of what is famous and the uh, something which is cultural something which is trending, something which is famous, will not dictate what is right and what's wrong. 
the one who has a deep understanding of the deen will go to the soul of it to see exactly is this something in line with what my Allah wants what with my Rasulullah wants or not or is this a deviation from that and this type of fiqh fit deen and understanding of deen is so important to have today again I told you you can go through the route by studying 10-12 years or more 15 years sometimes after studying 10-15 years a person still doesn't have it because their soul is corrupted their spirituality is weak they've committed so many sins they pollute their spirituality with all sorts of major and minor sins because of which although they have all the knowledge in front of them they've memorized facts they've memorized texts they memorized uh, commentaries but unfortunately they still are deviated by their desires and by a misunderstanding and misreading of the facts misreading of the you know misreading of the uh, uh, the statements of the fuqaha, misreading of the Quran, misreading of the hadith. Allahu Akbar. So you have people, every, remember this, that today, our, previously to every single deviant group has always quoted the Quran. Every single most deviant, most unorthodox, most un-Islamic group and faction in the world have always quoted Quran. Because you don't get legitimacy unless you do that. So they will use that to come up with any and every outlandish, absolutely un-Islamic idea. So quoting the Qur'an and memorizing the Qur'an obviously does, is not sufficient, is what you learn from that. It's about reading the Qur'an, quoting it, but also more most importantly, understanding it the way Allah and His Rasul wanted us to understand it. So one person is not a hafiz of Qur'an. He never memorized it, he only he barely went through the translation. But if you tell him, this is what Allah says, he says, okay, I, I believe you. This is what is supposed to be right, this is what is supposed to be wrong. Another person memorizes it, knows the tafsir in and out, but then comes up with such outlandish, unorthodox, un-Islamic ideas, and you say, wow, you spent, you graduated from a university. You graduated from uh, Islamic Studies University, etc., etc. How could you be saying something which I as a, many people say in the masjid, I'm, see the, I'm just an average Muslim brother. I come for Fajr, Ishad, the masjid, that's about it. I listen to five minutes, dars of hadith. I know nothing, I've never att attended a seminary. But I can tell you, my gut feeling tells me what you're saying is wrong. Right? It's something that I just can tell. My, the, what is that? That's a nur of your iman. Of a, of a person who's got taqwa who says, nah, that doesn't sound right. My Nabi could not have said that. Right? Go ask a scholar. But I'm not a scholar. No, I don't know about your scholarship. Right? I don't know about your scholarship. Where is it coming from? Because I've, I've known, seen my parents, I've seen my grandparents, I've seen my ulama of my town. They never said something like that, never did something like that. That's called fiqh fiddin. A person never never actually maybe have the opportunity to spend decades of studying. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him a deep understanding of deen. What is the purpose of the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Staying, you know, staying free from uh, oppression, staying free from sin, staying free from disobedience of Allah, staying and not trampling over anyone's rights. I mean, these are obvious things that don't need to be explained. Uh, they should come natural. So a person who understands that, mashallah, will say he has a deep understanding of deen. So, a deep understanding of deen would be when you go to, for example, when a person asks a scholar, said he should ask, is this per, uh, permissible? Is this, what, how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want me to do, lead my life? Should I wear this or should I not wear this? Is this permissible or is not permissible? If we start getting to the nitty gritty, is this makruh tanzihi, makruh tahrimi, or haram? There are certain instances where you need to ask that. But generally speaking, it causes problems. So now, for example, let's see smoking. Right? There is a difference of semantics. Someone says makruh tahrimi, someone says haram. Many of these scholars of the Middle East, for example, say it's haram. And they'll, and they'll say, الخبائث, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made evil things haram. Khabith, dirty, filthy things haram. Others will say, 
like for example, many of the ulama of the subcontinent will say it's makruh tahrimi. Now this doesn't mean any of our senior ulama or junior ulama think it's okay to sit there and smoke. Okay? But the idea is why are they being careful of using it? Because makruh tahrimi and haram, the, these words are careful. It, I've said this before in a previous dars. It's more about a technicality here. What type of hadith, what type of proof have, are you using? come close please. What type of proof are you using to uh, make, a, make a judgment here? What type of proof? Is it, an, is it a hadith that is absolutely unambiguous, that is very authentic, high grade? Then you can use the word haram. Or if it's directly uh, deduced from the Quranic verse. But if it is a second tier hadith, in terms of authenticity, in terms of strength, then we will still definitely say it's still absolutely not permissible for us to use. But we will be careful of labeling it haram. Because why? Because a person who denies the impermissibility of something that is haram becomes a disbeliever. That's a very big thing. So that's why now you want to say, if a person, is, is a person says, practically speaking, you should not do this. But when it comes to, uh, the refu- if you refuse to accept it as haram, well then, a pr- when it comes to, for example, the ulama who would say this will be makruh, they say you won't be a di- you won't be a disbeliever. You will be what a fasiq. You will be an open sinner. Which is, I'm sure none of us like the title of fasiq either. Right? An open sinner. So now when you go and ask the, when you don't have the understanding of deen and you say makruh tahrim, like I spoke to someone recently, he said, oh I have a, they, my, some family owns a chain of smoke shops. I said, and he tells me, he tells me, I know it's makruh tahrimi, but you know, I still, I don't like it. I'm like, look, <laughs> Allah did not put risk for you in smoke shops, by. You can do risk in, you know, subhanAllah, kajur and dates, you can do it in anything else you want. From the whole thing out there, why are you in the world, you've just found vape. And we know, let's be honest, that's a very big thing in our community. Very big thing in our Muslim community. Vape shops, smoke shops, cigarette stores, you know, all these type of things. And do they make money? Yes, of course. And guess what? Gets you a lot of money. More money than that is liquor. Right? Gets you a lot of money. I know I went to visit one person who had a liquor store and he was like, his father had died and left, left him. He was, he was cursing his dad out, right? He said, my dad left me this, this adab. I said, give it up. He said, no, but it's 70K a month, man. So he's cursing his father out for leaving anything, but he's also saying, I can't give it like a 70K a month. Right? So liquor can give you a lot of money. So what are you going to do? We don't, like, where do you stop? Money, it's not, the end thing is not about money. But because of this fatwa, uh, people, because of not understanding the, the concept of deen, fiqh for deen, they go to these semantics. Makruh tahrimi haram. Oh, it's makruh tahrimi. It's okay. What, what barakah is going to come into that person's? And I, I, it, it, I'm sharing with you so you realize how people are deceived. I remember there was one youngster, young boy, a brother who used to go to his town. He used to be very, very uh, yani attentive. You do khidmah, he'd sit around, ask questions. It was very amazing. He had went through a lot of problems because his father was absolutely a, a very secular, very secular. He would actually beat him up physically if he caught him going to the masjid, right, to that level. And this guy fought it all out. Yeah? And mashallah, he remained firm, firm, firm. He kept on going to the masjid. Alhamdulillah, he, he went Islamically very ahead. I hadn't seen him for over a decade. Recently, I met him, and he was very proud of the fact that, you know, he's doing financially very well. I said, okay, and he was Islamically, so I'm, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm in my front row and stuff. I said, what's your business? Again, he's a smoke shop. And I was like, brother, are, are you really, like, do you not get that? Would you, I don't think 10, 15 years ago, when you were a little kid trying to fight your way to come to the salah with jama'ah, if someone told you that, I'm sure you wouldn't do that. But what has gotten to you? The money. Right? And says, now you got some fatwa as makruh tahrimi. But look at how many. Would you want your son to smoke? Would you? I mean, I don't know about you to smoke. What would you want your son and daughter to smoke? No. Then why are you getting all the ummah? All these people get into vapes, into, into all this other stuff that is just going to destroy their, besides their lungs, and destroy their deen also, destroy their mentality. There's nothing, there's nothing clean about this. There's nothing good about it. But this is where we're talking about someone is deprived of the deep understanding of the deen. 
You don't need to be a faqih and a maulana and a mufti to do that. Inside your heart, you need to know. So a youngster came to me the other night and he told me he was wearing chains. He was wearing chains. He said, Sheikh, is this permissible? Is, and then I said, no, not permissible. You're not supposed to be wearing any jewelry or chains. At most, the Prophet ﷺ, not for the sake of beauty, not for the sake of zina, not for the sake of, uh, you know, decking out, he had a ring, silver ring. And the purpose of that was just to stamp, put in a stamp. His name was written on him, and he would use that to stamp letters. That was it. And there was, it was not used for zina. It was not used for beautification, because that's meant for women, not for men. So then his question was, uh, you know, is it haram or is it makruh? And this is what I responded to him. I said, don't ask this question. Don't get, become a, don't, become a, uh, don't get a habit of asking these type of things. When you go to a scholar, simply, should I do this, should I not do that? Done. Because what happened? You come and you go to the detailed semantics, shaitan will come and he's, he's a bigger, you know, faqih. Huh? He's a greater scholar. He knows all. I tell you, for sure. He knows what none of us know. He knows, he knows how to find loopholes everywhere. And he'll come to that scholar or he'll come to that person after you take the fatwa and say, ah, but you know what? But he actually said makruh tahrimi, which is, you know, it's, it's not exactly as the haram, you know. When makruh tahrimi, if you do it continuously, it is haram. When makruh tahrimi is done continuously, it becomes haram. So create this understanding within ourselves. Fiqh fi deen understanding of deen is, I need to, I got short life. I want to lead my life in a manner that it's the safest. That when I meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm not in trouble. I want to meet in the case, not just I'm not in trouble, Allah is happy to see me. As it comes in hadith, whoever, goes to, whoever is happy to meet Allah, Allah is happy to meet him. So if Allah is going to be, if, you, if, if we want Allah to be happy to meet us, we have to make sure we stay away from all doubtful things, things that will eventually lead us to haram. Right? Those are the things uh, that go against the mizaj of the sharia. They go against the understanding of the deen. Allahu Akbar. So this is called fiqh fiddin. That's what a true scholar will be, the one who will not look at the black and the white only. And he will say, oh, this is a permanent. He will look at what will, what will the possible outcomes be 20 years later if we say this is permissible. In, in, in theory, this may be permissible. But if you allow this, if you give a fatwa of its permissibility, where will this go? That's what a true scholar is. He doesn't look at just this text. He doesn't look at, you know, uh, immediately what the, the answer to your immediate question. He will see if we say yes or no, where is this going to head? That's the understanding of the, of the deen. And you have, to, you have to have that foresight. And that's why that foresight comes from where? From Allah. And who does Allah give that to? He gives it to someone who intends good for. If he, there's no intention of good for, that, then there's uh, not going to be, that won't do, he won't have that understanding. You have this massive, massive movement in the postmodern movement, feminist movement. And the, the, the underlying thing is that every, in every single aspect of life, men and women must be the exact same. Not just treated with respect equally, no. They have to do the exact same thing. And so now, women, uh, to the extent that we're at a stage that you say that, uh, you know, these unbelievable uh, people will say, women are not the on, only ones who will be menstruating, it will be men as well. There has to be equality. Men should be able to carry a baby as well. Women should, uh, men should also be able to menstruate. It's just, it is the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, 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 there's no level of, you know, okay, this is it. We're going to stop over here. The equality of the, every single thing has to be the same in every regard. In terms of the roles we play, gender roles, big thing, massive thing. I change the diaper one day, you change the diaper one day. Every single thing has to be the same, same, same. So from there, you'll see, subhanAllah, that, okay, why is it then? Naturally, if, you're gonna, if, you, if you don't put this into checks and balances, the question naturally is that why should you have, where is it today we're at? 
Why is there a women's, why, are, why do women have their own prayer hall and men should have their own prayer hall? One is a place that you have women not having a prayer hall at all. Then you say women need to have a smaller prayer hall in the back. Then you have a women have a larger prayer hall. Like you have a space now that women have as large as a prayer hall as we do. As beautiful, mashallah, chandelier and dome and everything. Okay? But people won't be, still be happy. Say, no. Why is it not at the, in the front? Meaning there should be a men's prayer hall and women's prayer hall next to each other. Okay, then after that it's going to be, no, why should, why should the, naturally, why should the women and men be, why should the women pray behind the men? And the men and the women should be praying next to each other, in the same hall, without barrier. Then it's going to be whoever comes first should be in the front row. It should be women and men in the front row. Whoever made it first. Then it should be whoever's got the most nicest voice or whoever studied the most uh, tajweed or studied the most fiqh should be the one leading. It should be, you know, whether men and women. Whoever's got the most amazing uh, ordinary skills and has got a great charisma should be the one on the member ascending, giving the khutbah. Where do you stop the logic? How do you say no to that? Because if you don't have principles, if you don't have principles and everything is about how you feel, well, guess what? I think, you know, someone easily may should say that, you know what? Women have a better understanding, a better grip. You see today's university graduates, majority of women. More women applying to PhD programs than men. More definitely more women graduating from college than men. Every single MSA event I go, you'll see 70% women, 30% boys. 30, 70% girls, 30% boys. More women, they're the ones who are leadership. They're the ones who are presidents, vice presidents, secretaries. They're the ones who take the front row seats. Right? So the women are definitely leading that. So well, if you're going to take it by that, well, might as well have women leading the khutbah, giving the Jummah khutbahs, leading the salah, being the khalifa, next khalifa, whatever, every single thing. So this is where it will definitely go. And, if, and I bet you someone who may be listening to me right now say, well, what's wrong with that? Okay, then I'm not speaking with you, right? You're not my audience. I'm audience of people who look at, listen to me and say, you know what, what you're saying is pretty, pretty that's pretty messed up. Someone who still's got fitrah. Someone who says, it's not about what I think is right or what's wrong. It's what Allah and His Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa want. Because if I go with the times that I just told you, men must carry children, babies, and men must menstruate too. Uh, subhanallah, all kinds of... Did you hear that, what this attack that, uh, that took place in, Kentucky, in Nashville? Right? You must have heard of... Um, uh, a transgendered woman went up and shot up their school, right? So sad story, 6-7. What are these woke people doing? I think six, six, kids, six people were killed. And so apparently there was a whole protest and, and they were saying, we need to stand up for the rights of people. And they're saying there were seven martyrs. Who? Seven martyrs. Who's the seventh one? Who's the seventh one? Tell me. The shooter. Martyr. Allahu Akbar. Khabis killed three, three innocent kids, little children, and killed another three, oh, the adult principal of the school. And she became a he, she became a martyr. Because why? Because they're transgender. They became a martyr. That's the world we're headed. Right? SubhanAllah. Where you can't even say stuff, whatever I'm saying. But it's just, they would say no. I mean, this is, this is what you call junoon. Meant it lost your mind. So if, you don't have, if you're not grounded in principles, that's what will happen. If you don't have grounding in principles, then we'll, I mean, come, I hope you all agree this is messed up. That that person is not a martyr by any means. Just because they're transgender. Astaghfirullah. But, I hope, but the idea is people think it is. People think no. Just because you're trying, you can do whatever you want. So when is this, when is this madness going to stop? If you're not grounded in deen, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to have a, you're not going to have an answer. You have to stop saying, I think and she thinks and it makes sense, it doesn't make sense. You have to say, Allah and His Rasul said this, it has nothing to do with what you think and I think. And maybe deep down, you don't think it's right. I don't care. Maybe I don't think it's right. You shouldn't care. It's about what Allah and His Rasul said, that's it. Maybe due to my own nafs, due to my own desires, all of these other things is happening. Subhanallah. So now I'm, I'm being relevant here as well. You have places where you have um, 
For example, women and men's programs. You know, this is my, my, my core group of people here, so I'm going to tell you what, what's on this. The idea of men and women doing ibadah. Great. Men doing ibadah, women doing ibadah. This is a long topic. I don't know if I should touch upon this topic right now or not. But this is a whole issue about read the text on women going to the masjid itself. Right? So you'll see from the very from the very early era of Umar radiallahu from Aisha al-Lam's time, heard the wife of the Prophet in the instances where she said, if Rasulullah were to be alive today, he would have stopped the women from going to the masjid. Things the way things are going. Now we have a huge women's prayer hall over here, right here. Why is that? It's because there's already naturally everyone's out. Everyone's going to university, everyone's going to the shops, everyone's going to the malls, everyone's outside. At least we want to have a place for them to pray, a place for them to comfort their taraweeh, etc. Now, the main thing would be that uh, in that process, you don't want anything, you don't want any compromises to be happening. So alhamdulillah, we have a separate women's parking lot. We have a separate women's entrance. We have, mashallah, complete, you know, they can come here for 30 days, they can come here for 30 years. They're not going to be mixing and mingling. They've got their own beautiful area, clean bathrooms, clean wudu area, you know, clean uh, mother's room and a huge prayer hall and everything. Comfortable, clean, no one can criticize. Men got their own spot. Do your own thing. You pray a salah, listen to the talks. They might be listening right now. And, and you know, and move on. Main thing is that the issue, what was Aisha getting upset about? What was Umar getting upset about? Because the, there was a chance of fitna happening on the way to the masjid or in the masjid itself. They're not all clean men anymore and they're not all clean women anymore. They're not all decently dressed men and women. They're not all decent, decent men and women who have haya. Naturally, as soon as the Prophet passed away, things started changing. We'll change, naturally. So, but right now, we're not telling people who never leave the home, sisters for example, who are, who are very, very particular about their hayat, stay at home all the time. We're not saying you have to come to the masjid. By all means, you have got live stream, listen to the talks at home, you can pray at home. There. But someone who's already up and about, who feels not motivated to praying at home, uh, then there's a nice place. So you have to make sure that the purpose of salah, the purpose of deen is not being diminished. If in the process of coming to the masjid, instead of benefit, we have harm happening. That's where the issue arises. That if subhanAllah, men and women are becoming friends at the masjid. And as one person from another masjid told me, Allah forbid, these are his words. He's picking up zina partners from the masjid. Then you know that there's something very, very wrong happening. Is that happening? Unfortunately. Because that's what the culture is. You have beautiful areas and people come beautifully dressed, dressed to kill to the masjid and sit there and chit chat. And then from there, you know, uh, relationships are made and things go on from there. So then you know then that this is obviously not what the deen intended. The masjid was not supposed to be a hookup place. The masjid was not supposed to be a place where even in some areas, I know, uh, some years ago in a masjid I used to go to, that the youth would come on Fridays and literally that's where they used to, when, when marijuana was illegal at that time. The buying and the selling used to happen after Juma, right? That's where the weekly, all the college kids would come back from dorms and stuff. That's where they would do their business, in the masjid after Juma. Because that's when it was illegal at that time. The good old days. Right? SubhanAllah. But now, like what I'm trying to say is that then you know there's a problem. You have to police that. You have to an area that masjid. Not like, oh, at least we have the youth in the masjid. What are the youth doing in the masjid? If they're selling, you know, SubhanAllah weed, then there's a problem. We can't just say, oh, they're in the masjid, so a mission accomplished. That's very shallow thinking. That's foolishness. So there's people who don't have fiqh for deen, is what I'm talking about. Right? Who don't understand that. So you have, for example, youth qiyam. Okay, the idea is uh, the youth are coming to the masjid. That's great, fine. Purpose of them is to actually do ibadah. So if you have a youth qiyam in which you have men and women, boys and girls, at the same time spending the entire night in the masjid, my friends, I cannot imagine how could that be something that would be favorably looked upon. Yes, you have them in the masjid, but at what cost? What's going on? 
What, are, what, what is the relationships that are happening over here? The, the, you think they're not going to be casting glances at one another, switch, you know, laughing, smiling at each other, giggling with another, texting one another? Of course, right? You're here in the masjid to separate yourself from the toxicity of the outside. Why would you bring the toxicity here? If you want to do that stuff, you do it outside. You do it all the time. You do it in school, you do it in university, you do it in high school. Why would you bring that toxic environment to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We have to have a few pure, clean, preserved places. And the masjid should be that one place. You can't say, I have a habit of smoking, so right now after iftar, I just want to smoke downstairs. No, no one's going to allow that. You have a habit of smoking, please go outside. I'm sorry, yeah, you, you feel guilty about it, you want to do tawbah, etc. But you, we can't allow you to do that in the masjid. No, accept me who I am for. I accept you, but I will not accept you to smoke in the masjid. You're a chain smoker, but I'm not sitting there calling you out. You do it outside, but just don't do it in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And before you come, you ither, uh, brush your teeth, do your miswak, try to cover up, mask your smell before you come in and pray. This is called welcomingness. Welcomingness doesn't mean that you sit in the first row and smoke joints. Because you know what? We're, open, we're an open masjid. That is what? We don't judge anyone. I'm sure none of you, at least at this moment, agree with this type of you know, behavior. Well, that's the idea. If someone says, I don't dress properly, I want you to accept me. I have, a, I have a girlfriend, I want you to accept me. I have a boyfriend, I say, okay, we accept you. But in the house of Allah, don't bring that stuff in. What you do outside is a don't ask, don't tell policy. I don't need you to, I'm not going to ask you, you don't need to tell me. But in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is something that should not make sense. Right? That's what happens. So now the qiyam also, qiyam fitna is happening, where you have joint men and women together doing qiyam in masajid. And it's, it's, not a great, it's not a good scene. I mean, it's been happening for years. That, you know, diff, uh, the youth are spending their nights and days, in, especially during the last 10 nights. If you have ping pong and uh, game room, a call of duty. I just went to one masjid playing call of duty, brother, before Fajr in a, on an Xbox or whatever. You know, in, in, the, in, the, in the prayer hall or in the masjid. Like, okay, I understand you like call of duty, but why in the night of Ramadan before school? Why in the masjid, man? What is it? We just got to get the youth into the masjid. Yeah. Then the youth, subhanAllah, will come in at, you'll just keep on going lower and lower, lower and lower, and people will come in. But at what cost? This is not a concert, this is not a theater, this is not a nightclub. This is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to keep the sanctity of the masjid. We have to understand that. We need you to, we need to promote this. That let, we cannot at all costs bring in people. The ends do not justify the means. Please write this and say this again and again. Make zikr of this. Ends don't justify the means. Ends don't justify the means. Ends don't justify the means. Because the world has forgotten that. And they think at all cost, if we got to get people in the masjid, then you just do whatever you need to do. That is incorrect. That is incorrect. We'd rather have one row of people than have 70 rows of people who bring their filth inside the masjid. Yes, we want 80 rows of people, 100 rows of people who come to the masjid to make tawbah from whatever they're doing. Or who are going back and forth due to addictions. They come to the masjid and they end up slipping outside. They come to the masjid, they end up slipping outside. Okay, no problem. One day you'll change. But please let us not allow that filth to come to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is called fiqh fiddin. It's pretty obvious, don't you think so? But most people unfortunately today, even the scholarly class, don't have this. The imams don't have it. The boards don't have it. It's all about get the people in. I don't know, because uh, it's not good for optics if you don't have a masjid that's full. Maybe it's bad for fundraising if you don't have a masjid that's full. Whatever. Just bring the people in. So we have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, give us the understanding of deen. Right? Give us the deep, pure understanding, unaltered understanding of the deen. That is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the first sign that we spend, mashallah, quite a bit of time on this one. Three things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He wants to do good with someone, He gives them, he gives them gifts them. Well, number one, 
Fiqhan fi deen, understanding of deen. Number two, zahadatan fi dunya, self-discipline. I like how they translated that. Self-discipline in this world. Zuhd. Use the money. Drive whatever you need to, but be self-disciplined. Don't use more than you need to. Don't be extra extravagant. Don't, not, don't hold back on zakat and sadaqah and just spend on yourself. That's not being self-disciplined. وَبَصْرًا بِعْيُوبِهِ An insight into your faults. Right? To be insightful. To be insightful. To be able to say, you know, I'm hollow. You know, I, 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 it's, 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 it's beautiful to be able to be that. Sometimes fellow scholars and imams come to me and, and share with me their own um, issues that they're dealing with. And they, you know, naturally they say, I'm sharing with you this in confidence. I don't want to tell you, but listen, you know, I'm going through all of this. And I said, listen, your example, my example is like a sponge. We all use sponges at home for cleaning our dishes. I said, if you keep on washing iftar and dinner and suhoor dishes with that sponge, and you don't wash that sponge, you don't throw it in a dishwasher, uh, you don't put bleach in it, after three weeks, you can probably kill someone through the smell of that. All that bacteria on that sponge. That's my example, your example. We're constantly helping people, constantly uh, performing surgeries on people's spiritual lives. All of that has a huge effect on our own selves. And when is it our time? To buckle down and clean ourselves, self-clean, right? Even a dishwasher and a washing machine have a self-clean option nowadays, right? What about our own? What about the imam? That is a responsibility of every community to look after the spiritual well-being of their imam. To say, Shaykh, you know what? You need to take a week off. We will pay for your ticket. And you go to your ustad. Go to your sheikh. Go overseas. Go wherever you want. Because your spiritual health means our spiritual health. And if you go down the drain, we're all going down the drain. You're, you know, that's the idea. If, if a person himself, the person who's giving guidance, if he's infected, how do you, if the doctor himself has got COVID, what do you expect is going to happen to the patients? So it is important incumbent upon our communities to ensure that the, the imams and the leadership and the ulama are being taken care of, not just financially, but also spiritually. And that we facilitate for them to say, because many of them, I tell them, why don't you go visit, go back where you graduated from? Oh, we're going to take time off, cause this, we have, you know, we're going to spend time with family. I said, right, listen, man, this is more than anything else. Your imamat role in your job is all secondary. Your spiritual well-being is primary. When you go into the qabr, your, the, your masjid board is not going with you. And the community is not going with you. I'm going to my grave alone, you're going to your grave alone. No one's coming with us as much as they may like us. No men, no women. We have to make sure when we go and we have our first night in the grave, we're not up for a surprise. Right? So, but the idea is basran bi'ubi. If you are a, a layman or, a, or a, an imam or a scholar, if you have the ability to say, you know what, I've got problems. I've, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I need to really work on my ta'alluq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah. This is a very good sign. Very good sign. You might be saying, I'm at the bottom. I'm lowly, very low. I'm at the bottom of the, of the spiritual index here. But that's okay. The fact that you can already, uh, what you call, the fact that you can already feel and sense your weakness is great. Now you just need to practice on it. That's what the house of Allah is. That's what the ulama are. I invite myself and all of you to connect yourself with with. Travel wherever you need to. Go wherever you have to. And when I say this to people, they say, brother, not everyone can get on a flight and go somewhere. Foolishness. If someone in your family has got an advanced type of disease and you got an appointment with the best doctor for that field at Mayo Clinic, who's going to say that it's cold in Minnesota or it's a two-hour flight or it's you know seven-hour drive? You'll run, you'll be there 
in no time because you care about the health of your loved one. We have to care about our own spirituality. If you have to walk to Timbuktu, do it. If you have to crawl to, crawl, whatever Rasulullah said at the end of times, what did he say? The gist of what he said. If you have to even crawl to Sham, crawl to Sham. Right? Because that's where it's Sham, Dimashq and Syria, that area, the real, the real pious will be there, gathering over there. Instead, when things will go very bad, then go there at all costs. You can, won't survive where you are. The order of the day, everywhere else, Dajjal and Dajjal fitna will take over the world. You have to go for your safety. That's it. Right? That's the whole point. If a person says there's smoke in this part of the building, Allah forbid, there's a fire breaking out. You need to leave and go outside and run. Imagine a person says, I don't have the himma to go walk out 100 feet. I just, ah, I'm, I'm tired, man. It's almost iftar time. I'll just stay over here. Okay. You can, you know, welcome your death. By the time and smoke will come, you'll die. You have to leave. You have to do what you do. These are the type of statements I hear. Too expensive. Not everyone can do it. I can't. I got my wife won't let me. My son won't let me. My daughter. But listen, man. It's your spiritual health. You told me you're spiritually weak. You're spiritually suffering. Well, I'm just telling you what you need. You need to leave your environment. And you need to go to a place that can give you what you need. Otherwise, stop complaining about the, about the fact that, you are, you, that you're spiritually bankrupt and you are you know, worried about yourself. Make sense? So you have to make safar. You have to travel. Travel to places like the person who killed 99 people. And then after that he killed the 100th person. He went to Abid and he said, uh, uh, you know, is there any forgiveness for me? And he said, no, there's no forgiveness for you. He said, if there's no forgiveness for me, I might as well kill you. And he made it a full century. And after that, then he went to a scholar. And the scholar said, no, there is possibility for you to be, get forgiveness. But you are a product of your uh, area. And as long as you stay here, you won't, you won't be able to change. You need to move to a different area. That's why Atikaf is a great opportunity to move. Whether you're at Takaf at Darussalam or at Takaf somewhere else, wherever it is. The idea is our brothers should try their best to take some time off. To which tomorrow at Takaf is starting, inshallah, after Maghrib. At Maghrib, not after Maghrib, at Maghrib. We should try our best to take, take some time off from, from school, take some time off from work, and de- sit for detox. And that's what a masjid, alhamdulillah, this last 10 days is about. Right? I invite you to take some time out and come and visit over here, uh, whether here or somewhere else. And where there's programs, where there's scholars, and you sit and benefit from the mahol and the environment of the last 10 days in the masjid. I encourage all those who are sitting here listening to me, well, if you would never made intention of i'tikaf, make intention now. There's still time. Call your employer, call work, see what you can. If you can't do it for all 10 days, do it for 5 days, 3 days. But definitely take some time out where you bring your sleeping bag over here. Sleep in the masjid. Go to your local masjid and sleep. And you will see, inshallah, ta'ala, that... Um, you know, uh, that you'll see the benefit of that will happening when you, when you detox yourself. And hopefully after Ramadan, you will have an opportunity to go find a alim, shaykh, rabbani, mentor, and wherever they may be, as long as they're following sunnah. And they are people of spirituality. You look at them, you feel that your iman increases. They invite you towards a, a higher level of deen that you're at. Then you go spend some time with them. So again, this today's... Uh, statement that we read today is Musa ibn Ubaidah narrated Muhammad ibn Ka'b al-Quradi said when Allah desires good for someone he blesses him with three qualities number one deep understanding of the religion number two self-discipline in this world that he doesn't become intoxicated with materialistic things he use and throw use and throw doesn't allow his heart to be attached to the worldly material things third Basran bi insight into a person's fault 
Now this will come through reflection and consideration. Today's the 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 the, the, uh, the theme or the title of this chapter is reflection and consideration. Why was this mentioned over here? Because to be able to be insightful over one's sins, you have to reflect. Right? That call, that requires reflection. If you don't reflect, you'll never see. You think I'm I'm completely fine. I'm, you know, right? that's what it is. So this is why he brought this. Uh, he brought this, uh, this hadith over here. Rabi ibn Subayha narrated, Hassan said, Inna min al-amali al-wara' wa tafakkur. That the best, amongst the best actions, al-wara' means to be scrupulous. Right? To, to be God-fearing. Uh, to do what's right. To stay away from doubtful things. Wara' Wa tafakkur and to reflect. That's one of the best things you and I could do in these 10 nights and 10 days. Sit in a corner close your eyes and reflect that's it and nothing else you, if someone you, if that really we need to all do this 15 minutes 10 minutes a day I, who am I talk to yourself who am I how old am I what have I done what's my past what's my present where's my future looking like right now if I stay on this trajectory where do you think I will be in 10 years 5 years am I happy with the way my children are coming about being raised am I happy with my relationship with my spouse am I happy with my relationship with my parents who has these answers? You have your answers, I have my answers. But they don't come through lectures and bayans. I'm never going to help myself and, and you're not going to help yourself. Unless we take what I, I take what I share, you take what you hear, and you sit and reflect. Let it marinate. Right? Let it marinate. That's what I'm sharing. I'm just sharing marinade right now. But I got to take it and actually marinate with my own self, my own flesh and soul. You got to do that with your own. And what, when, after you marinate, what do you do? Do you just throw it on the grill immediately? Huh? No, right? You let it stay. You let it overnight. That's what happens. That's where, you, when you hear the talks throughout Ramadan in the last 10 nights, inshallah, there'll be a lot of programs here. We have to seriously take some time out, just sit in the corner and let it marinate. And think, okay, I, I heard that point. I heard that point. These are powerful points. To what degree does it affect my life? To what, does it, to what degree does it reflect my life? Subhanallah. Abdurrahman ibn Mohib said he heard Muhammad ibn Ka'b al-Quradi same, same person who we mentioned the first quote from saying لَأَنْ أَقْرَأَ فِي لَيْلَةِ حَتَّى أُصْبِحَ بَإِذَا زُلْزِرَتْ وَالْقَارِعَ لَا أَزِيدُ عَلَيْهِمَا وَأَتَرَدَّدُ فِيهِمَا وَأَتَفَكَّرْ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنْ أَنْ أَهُذَّ الْقُرْآنَ لَيْلَةِ هَذَّنْ أَوْ قَالَ أَنْثُرُهُ نَثْرًا this, this Tabi'i says, reciting When the earth will be convulsed with its quaking. It's a very powerful verse, a surah of which is Juz Amma. Right? And the last ayah is, what's the last ayah? فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَى وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ يَسْلَاسِزْ وَمَنْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَى that's the thing to reflect on. Whoever done an Adam, Adam, Adam. Dharra is the most, the smallest indivisible you know, particle. So less than an atom now. The, whoever does an atom worth of an action of good shall see its reward. Whoever does an atom worth of sin shall see its punishment. Nothing gets discounted and nothing gets hidden from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a powerful ayah for you and I to reflect on. Because there's millions of things we're doing, we don't, we don't even think about it. And we're like, ah, who saw that? Allah saw that. Allah saw that. Allah saw all of it. So he said, I would spend the entire night reciting this surah. And وَالْقَارِعَةِ The crashing blow. Talk about the Day of Judgment. He said, I would rather, both of these surahs speak about the Day of Judgment. He said, I'd rather sit 
and the entire night repeat and contemplating over these two surahs is more dear to me than reciting the whole Quran quickly in one night. Or he said, than strewing it out quickly. Meaning reflection is necessary. Reflection. And the more we reflect on, like Abu Amr Hanifa, if I remember correctly, would spend the entire night reciting one ayah, sometimes in tahajjud. Crying, 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 crying over this one ayah of Surah Yasin. What does that mean? O transgressors, O transgressors, O sinners, today you must be separated from the rest. And he would be reading this thinking that what if on that day, when this is mentioned, I will be pulled out from the ranks of the tr- true righteous Muslims. Imam Hanifa, rahimahullah, is saying this about himself. What if when Allah says, move out, O oppressors, you were hiding your identity amongst the true Muslims. You are all hypocrites, you are sinners, you are transgressors. Get out now. And what if I'm pulled out from the group? And spend the entire night reflecting upon this. Ayah. Right? That, that's where they reached, where they reached because of them always being focusing on their own faults. Which subhanAllah, were so tiny. You know, it's like, um, I, I, I asked someone, you do a detail, car detail? I said, how much does a car detail cost? And he's an expensive exotic car. He said, we do high-end details like $3,000. I said, what? $3,000? We can buy a car for $3,000. What would you do in it? And he said, you know, uh, sometimes people bring their cars, r- brand new cars, right off of the lot. We're not, you know, what type of car? We're talking about Ferrari, Lamborghini. Right out of the lot and bring it to my shop. I said, for what? For a detail? He said, yeah, because there's imperfections in the paint. I was like, whoa, okay. I mean, I believe you. But what is that? He said, no, if you look deep down, I said, yeah, you probably have to really look deep down. You have to special light, special magnifying glasses, and you'll see there's some unevenness in the shades of paint on a brand new $350,000 Ferrari that's coming off of the lot. Okay. What I'm trying to tell you is there is a degree of perfection. When you go to that level, you can just give... That's what Imam Hanifa is doing. Imam Hanifa is giving himself a $10,000 detail every night. And you're like, well, I never... I don't think of myself so bad. Yeah, we, our car is subhanAllah. I haven't been getting a car wash for 25 years. You know, it's probably three, four garbage bags worth of just disgusting stuff stuck gunk under the seats. That's what my condition, my heart is. Imam Hanifa rahmatullahi daily cleaning, cleaning. And what, what do you do every single night? Why are you sitting there crying the whole night? That's that level of detail he's doing. And so when you go to that level, you literally see specs. So this guy who does the $3,000 detail, if there's even a small level of imperfection, I'm sure he can't fall asleep. He's OCD. Right? That's what it is. He can't. He's like, no, I'm going to redo it again. It's not just about the money because these people literally, they're perfectionists. And that's what they do again and again. So these ulama, these awliya, these atqiya, they are perfectionists when it comes to their souls. May Allah make us like them. Say ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to see the big fat chunks of gunk on our hearts. First allow us to remove that. And then allow us to continue to focus on, on improving. So now you heard this, this statement. He says, I would rather repeat the surah the entire night than read the entire Quran on the night. So brothers, what do you guys think about reading the Quran every day? Should we do this or not? Tell me. Why? Yeah. No, the whole Quran. Says there's... You shouldn't read it. Okay. Anyone else? What if someone, subhanAllah, he sits and reads. I tell you, I want to sit and read the Quran. I can sit down and read in eight hours the whole Quran. So, I shouldn't. You could? Okay. There's a conversation here is going on. He said, I would prefer to recite. I would prefer to contemplate over these two surahs than read the Quran the entire night. So this is where you understand not balancing everything. There is a time, you have to dedicate time every single day for tafakkur. 
So you take 20. How, find me one person. Find me. If you bring me Abu Hanifa in the Saf here, who reads or any verse for 6-8 hours. Okay? There's none. We are trying to, and we'll use that as an excuse to not read the Quran. So there's a khatm Quran that's happening. We have a seven day tarawih, a ten day tarawih here, a five day tarawih. Some people do tarawih in three days. And they'll say, Brother, no, it's better to focus. Okay, brother, focus When have you focused? You don't focus, and someone who's actually reading, you're stopping them. It reminds you of the people who don't know the translation of the Quran or work on the meanings of the Quran. They say, Brother, I would rather focus on the translation than memorize it. Boy, this eight year old or ten year old memorized it, and you are looking down upon him because you say he doesn't know the meaning. Tell me how much meaning do you know? Yeah, I know you don't know it, you haven't memorized it. But tell me how much meaning do you know? You don't know meaning, you haven't memorized it. And you're looking down upon someone who's memorized it. That's again shaitanic deception. Right? So someone who is not contemplating, he's holding back on someone who is actually reading. Yeah, but he should contemplate as well. So what I'm trying to say, you dedicate certain, moment, uh, certain months of the year, and or, uh, like Ramadan is, a, is, a, is, is not a Ramadan, is, is, it should be focused on recitation. And maybe 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day where you have the tafsir after Aisha, that's contemplation. And you have your own halaqa where you sit and read maybe even a translation of the verse of the Quran and just think, Allahu Akbar, what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying over here? You can contemplate over verses that are about the greatness of Allah. Do not contemplate about verses that have to do with injunctions. That's not our job. That is the job of ulama to do that. Because then we'll get very confused. Verses of the Quran that speak about His greatness, that is where we contemplate, you know, over that. So, they are, I said the other night, Imam, Shah, Imam uh, Uthman ibn Affan, this is Tabi'i, Uthman ibn Affan himself used to recite an entire Quran every night, and one rakah, one rakah, the Quran. So there are, there are many, many scholars who have done that, inshallah in, the, in these last 10 nights, we'll have many people who will also be reciting one Quran every single day, alhamdulillah, right? So this is uh, beautiful. But along with that, we should focus on trying to take some time out to contemplate over the verse of the Qur'an and also, we talked about earlier, our own selves. My faults, my flaws, to what degree has Islam come unto me? So, uh, and what degree is Islam, the, the, the color of Islam has not, you know, uh, what you call, uh, rubbed off on me. So this is where subhanAllah will end today. Uh, I ask Allah Azza wa Jal that He allows me to practice on what I just shared myself. May Allah say Ameen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow all of us to practice on the good that was shared. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to propagate that as well. Um, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our fast, accept our, our uh, qiyam. And inshallah, we will request everyone, uh, we can proceed downstairs for uh, iftar. And um, uh, at 7.30, I think, is, is iftar today. And we'll make the, we'll make the, I'll be I'll starting the dua here. Everyone can, inshallah, go downstairs. And you'll have your uh اللهم ربنا لا تجعلنا فتنة للقوم الظالمين ونجنا برحمتك من القوم الكافرين رب اغفر وارحم وتجاوز عما تعلم إنك أنت العزيز الأكرم اللهم يا حي يا قيوم 
الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا اللهم نور قلوبنا بنور الايمان واشرح صدورنا للاسلام اللهم نور قلوبنا بنور الايمان واشرح صدورنا للاسلام اللهم اصلح لنا ديننا الذي يعصم امرنا واصلح لنا دنيانا التي فيها معاشنا واصلح لنا اخرتنا التي فيها معادنا واجعل الحياه زياده لنا في كل خير واجعل الموت راحه لنا من كل شر ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد اذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمه انك انت الوهاب رب اغفر وارحم وتجاوز عما تعلم انك انت العزيز الاكرم والله ويسعدك ان تقبل ذا جود ذات وي هاف دان ان ذيس بريفيوس 19 20 دايز يا الله ويسعدك ان تقبل اوراق العباده اكسبت اور ذكر اكسبت اور دعاء اكسبت اور صدقه اكسبت اور شاريتي او الله او الله وي ار يا الله فيري سون يا الله فروم تومورو اونوردز ذا لاست بليسد نايتس ار بيجينينج والله الله اس تو ويلكم ذيم ان ذا مانر ذي اوت تو بي ويلكم الله اس تو تيك فول فول بينيفيت اوف ايفري سينجل سكند اوف ذيس نايتس اند دايز يا الله والله سيفس فروم ويستينج اني تايم سيفس فروم دوينج اني ثينج ويتش وود بي نوت ان اور بيست انترست والله سيفس ان يوزينج اور تايم ان اني مانر ذيت ووود بي هارمفول فور اس ان دنيا اور اخره والله وي بيج يو تو انتند جود فور اس وي بيج يو تو انتند جود فور اس وي بيج يو تو انتند جود فور اس او الله اف يو كلوز ذا دورز ابون اس نو ون ايلس كان اوبن ذا دور اوف ميرسي ابون اس بيسايدز يو والله وي بيج يو تو اوبن اب ذا دورز اوف خير اند كلوز ذا دورز اوف شر والله ميك اس امونج ذا لاكي ونز دو نوت ميك اس امونج ذا ريتشد ونز ميك اس امونج ذا لاكي ونز نوت ميك اس امونج ذا ريتشد ونز يا الله او الله وي اسك يو تو جرانت اس ذا سترينث اند ذا ابيليتي ذا نور ان اور هارت تو بي ايبل تو ديستينغويش رايت فروم رونغ الاو سو براكتس اون ذا رايت الاو سو شن رونغ الاو سو تو بي ايبل تو يا الله سي شيطانيك ديسبشنز اند ذا ديسبشنز اوف ذا نفس Oh Allah and allow us to ya Allah protect ourselves from these deceptions of nafs and shaitan allow us to overcome the temptations of our nafs allow us to weaken our nafs through the fasting and qiyamul layl ya Allah subhana rabbika rabbil izati amma yasifun wa salamun alal mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin amin